time. Um, I do hope you everyone can hear me on Mixer and on Zoom. All right, so we're going to start today. We are looking at um what we what we titled God, people, and you. All right, I want to explore God's wisdom for human relationships. Um, we've started we started this wisdom series last month or two months ago now. Um, I think last month, I that last month or a month ago, but we started uh, this wisdom series trying to explore the wisdom of God for different areas of our lives. All right, and we finished um wisdom for finances last week that was our emphasis and um we want to today we want to see god's wisdom for uh for human relationships and now why is this important is important because everything god does for us here on earth he does it through people and um our we're in a world of people we're in a world of of men and women we're in a world of human beings and um, we need to understand the wisdom God has for us to relate with these human beings or with these people. So I want to start off with a few thoughts that we would, um, you know, that sets or set the tone for this uh, Bible study. One is I want to read a scripture for us from Luke chapter uh, chapter four, Luke chapter three. Sorry, not not chapter four. Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three verse. Luke chapter three from verse twenty one. Luke chapter three, verse twenty one. All right. So I'm reading. It says, "Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was was opened. So there was quite a spectacular experience here that." People were coming, were getting baptized. You know, I don't know how many people were baptized per day, but people were, were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. So you come, you baptize, and you go. Come, baptize, go. Come, baptize, go. But then there came a man called Jesus. And when he came to be baptized, the Bible says the heavens were opened over him. Okay? And uh, the Bible says the heavens were opened, verse 22. The Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. So it wasn't a spiritual perception that only Jesus Christ could see. The Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove on Jesus, meaning he descended in a physical way that everybody else could see. So this was quite a spectacular um, encounter. This was quite a, something that, this was something that everyone would have talked about. People saw a special you know spiritual manifestation on jesus christ and look at what happened it says um the holy ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said thou art my beloved son in in thee i am well pleased so not only did they see um the holy ghost sending on sending on jesus christ in bodily form but they heard a voice that says oh thou art my beloved son in you, I am well pleased, or something like that, you know. And then that's very, very spectacular. This is obviously to identify Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as the one that, that was sent by the Father. Now, with all these spectacular events, you will expect that the way Jesus Christ came to the earth, assuming you've not read the Bible before, you will maybe think that the way Jesus Christ came to the earth, knowing that he's son of God and all of that, he probably descended, he floated, came with his, you know, regalia, uh, with his garments shining, he just came down, just dropped down from heaven, landed on earth, and maybe just gave his angel in his angel the jacket and say, you know what, uh, Angel Michael, hold my jacket, I'll be back for it in uh 33 years' time. All right, take note. You expect something very spectacular, but look at what the next verse says. Verse um, okay, verse 22 ends by saying, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now, verse 23 says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of, he of Heli, or Heli, and then it goes on to say, which was the son of Martha, and then the a whole genealogy um, begins to the end of that, of that chapter. Now, what I want to point out is that even though Jesus Christ was the son of God, um, God, in fact, attested to that fact through spectacular means, 
the Bible still traced Jesus Christ to a human being. And his birth was, he, he was born of Mary. And um, of course, not, not from the union of, of Joseph and Mary. However, Joseph was still recognized as his earthly father. And the way the scripture puts it is, it, it attaches, you know, Jesus Christ to someone. And which is one of the things the genealogy shows us, that everybody can be traced to somebody. That no matter how much grace, anointing, no matter how bright your destiny is, you must be traced to somebody. And if you cannot be traced to somebody, then you will are foreign on the earth. All right. And this, I read scripture, this scripture just to show us that to begin with, that Jesus Christ, with the, all the mighty things that, you know, he was, he came to earth to do, he had to be traced to somebody. And this is the power of human relationships that you can not, you are not an individual and there's nothing like a self-made person. You are not, there's nobody who is self-made. Everybody at some point can be traced to somebody. If your teachers didn't teach you how to read or write, you probably wouldn't be listening or be understanding what I'm saying today. If your parents didn't give birth to you, you will not even be among the discussion we're having right now on earth. Um, if they didn't nurture you, if somebody didn't extend a helping hand to you, if you didn't have um, relationships at, at several points of your life, you will not be the person you are today, all right? Whether mentors, friends, in fact, including people we term as enemies or people that we may not be on friendly terms with, all of those relationships still form a vital part of who we are today, all right? And God uses relationships to shape us. So I wanted to begin um, just with the obvious fact that everybody is traced to somebody. Nobody dropped from heaven. If Jesus Christ, with all his majesty and might and power and everything, had to still be born by a woman and had to be traced to a, to, to a human being or traced to another, um, to people, then you cannot, you are not alone. All right, you are not alone. Every human being has to be traced to somebody else. Okay, so I want to just start off with that and then also share a, just a few thoughts before we begin, or rather, as we proceed in today's study. Number one is that, uh, just a minute, please. All right, number one is that your greatest, your greatest tests in life or your greatest hurts, right, will come through a human relationship. Meaning that the great, if you if you ask, let's say you you go and meet a man who is uh, seventy years old, for instance, he's well accomplished, he has done a lot of great things on the earth, and he has followed God all through. You go and ask him and say, when, when, or what are the occasions that were the greatest tests in your journey in life? The man would likely tell you or share an experience, and if you listen caref carefully you will see that it had to do with a human relationship or human beings played a part in that test or in that heart. Usually it's not just the test of money or the absence of money that is the greatest test. Um, it's not usually the absence of opportunity that is the greatest test. It's usually a human relationship. Maybe someone that they trusted so much and the person betrayed them or someone that they invested so much in and um, the person made promises but and eventually failed or whatever it is it usually will be a test of human relationship. And I wanted us to note that because even if you look at your life currently, ask yourself, what are the um, situations that have hurt me the most or that have been the greatest test in my life? You'll find that at the bottom of it, it had to do with a, with a human relationship. It probably was a time where people rejected you or a time where people didn't believe in you or a time where people you know, betrayed you or... or Whatever, it will take a, a form like that. So our greatest tests, our, our greatest hearts come from relationship, human relationships. Now, on the flip side also, our greatest blessings also come from human relationships. That's if you, if you count your blessing now, right? And maybe you had a massive increase. Let's even say in finances because it's easy to measure and track. You had a, you had a, a big break financially. Trace how that big break came, it will end up being through a, a human relationship or through something someone told you or through something someone encouraged you to do. Whatever the case is, it will usually come through human relationship. And if you understand this, you will learn how to better appreciate the times where people disappoint you. That even the times people disappoint you, and 
you now see that at the end of the day, God used that whole setup for it to be a blessing to you. Let's say you are going to marry, marry somebody, all right? And then you already, you know, you're happy you, you concluded that this is the person I'll marry. And then the person breaks your heart. But because the person broke your heart, now you found your husband or you found your wife that you're married to. So in essence, you really should be thanking God that that person broke your heart or, you know, that there was that circumstance um, happened. So the greatest blessings we have usually come from human relationship. And I believe that God designed this, designed it this way because he works through people and he works in people. And also on this same line of thoughts, our ultimate proof of love for God is in our human relationship. And this is a part that sometimes, you know, scares me because the Bible says, um, beloved, let's love one another. First John 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God. And whoever does not love does not know God. Then he says, you can't claim to know, to love God whom you see and um, and not, sorry, you can't claim to love God whom you don't see and then hate your brother or your sister whom you can see. Meaning that the real test of our love for God is displayed in our human relationships. And you know how we say it, charity begins at home. So the first and foremost display would be for your family, all right? Your wife, your, your, your husband, your children, your brother, your sisters, your parents, your immediate rela relationships usually form the first um, expression of your love for God. So all of these things just to say uh, and to show us how important human relationships are. And God does not take these things for granted. Our human relationships are so vital to God that the Bible says he places the solitary in families, meaning those who are alone, those who are isolated, he places them among other people, among families, all right? And um, this is the importance of, of um, human relationships to God. Now, I want to take the approach today um, to, you know, to help us maximize time. I want to take this approach and we're going to look at human relationships from two, two directions, okay? One is our relationship towards other people, all right? And then secondly, people's relationship towards us, okay? Um, or another way to put it is our in relationships, right? Our What our disposition should be towards others. And then we'll see um, what governs people's disposition towards us. So again, how we're, we're saying this is, what, how does God, what does God want to govern our relationship towards others? And what should govern other people's relationship towards us? So I'm going to use um, the time we have left to just go through this um, as the Holy Ghost helps us. All right. So first of all, what should govern our relationship towards others? Uh, let's read Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Uh, the Bible says here that Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, it says, as we have, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith, or especially believers, to put it in, in modern English. The Bible says, as we have opportunity, uh, let us do good to everybody. Then it goes on to say, especially those who belong to the household of faith. So what should govern our relationship with others? Uh, the Bible calls it love in, in, in brevity or in to put it in short terms. What should govern our relationship to towards other people is love. And um, a good description of what love is, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse uh, from verse from verse 1, I believe. Uh, where love, it says love is kind, love is, is not envious, love is not jealous, and it begins to list several char characteristics that make up love. But to first start with that, uh, what should govern a relationship towards other people should ultimately be love. So will people offend you? Absolutely, yes. And if people have not yet offended you, you are either not telling the truth or you probably have been in isolation, like you've been in exile for a while. But people will offend you, that is a given. And God expects that our relationship... Towards, towards people, right, should be from the springboard of love. Um, so under this, this issue of love, all right, I want to highlight uh, just three things um, under this, this broad issue of love as we relate 
towards other people. Um, and I really want to make this as practical as our daily lives so that we find use and purpose for application uh, as well. Okay, so under love, the first thing I want to highlight is uh, the issue of strife. Because when you relate with people, there are so many obvious reasons why you will be at loggerheads. Number one is your background and context will be different. Number two is um, your by, by design, the way God created us, we don't all look at things the same way. So even if two people grew up in the same house, twins, as a matter of fact, grew up in the same house together with the same parents, they would end up looking at things differently by design, even if their background is similar. So all these differences create the opportunity for strife, but um, and or create opportunities for differences, not necessarily strife uh, for a start, but for differences. And these differences, if not properly managed, can translate into uh, can translate into strife or offense. But if properly managed, of course, would, would that would be avoided. But I want to read a scripture very um, very important to us. This is from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse... Uh, just give me a minute, please. We'll, re we'll start reading from verse 16. Um, and we're going to read this in the New King James Version. Right. So Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. I just want to open it from the New King James Version. Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 15. Okay, from the New King James Version. All right, so it says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Um, and, and Paul here was writing to the church. Right, and it says be of the same mind towards one another. Other translation says uh, there should be harmony, there should be unity within one another. And it says, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Um, meaning, don't don't feel exclusively higher than somebody else, but be open enough to relate with people that you may even be higher than on a social social um, level. All right, but in the eyes of God we are all the same. But from social standpoint or human standpoint, you might be, you might have achieved more than a person, all right? And that could give you a reason to separate yourself and, you know, look at yourself as more important. And the Bible say, is saying we should not do that. Then it goes on uh, to say, do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Meaning that, first of all, people will do evil to you, uh, but the response to evil should not be evil from us. That's what the Bible is saying. It says, um, in fact, what the Bible says is, um, do good to those who hate you, literally. And it says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 18 is my emphasis. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So the Bible is saying as much as it depends on you, if it is possible, that means go the full length and do everything that is within your power and within your control to live at peace with other people. This is a very, a very, um, very tough instruction that implicates us a lot. You know, Jesus Christ said that if someone takes your coats, give them the cloak also. If someone comes to take your, your, your jacket, give them more than that. And he was saying that from a standpoint of living in peace, that someone may come to you and want to look for trouble. And our natural uh, reaction is to give fire for fire. Like, do you know who I am in my village? Do you know what they call me? Do you me? Is it because you are seeing me on the street? And then we dish out fire, all right? Or dish out, you know, anger and quarrel for quarrel and all of that. But the Bible is saying, no, that shouldn't be our, our approach to, to people. That as much as it depends on you, live at peace with every with people now if you notice how the bible says it is if it is possible as much as it depends on you meaning that there may be cases where it is almost impossible but but if you are ever in a case where it is impossible to live at peace with people around you the fault will never come from you the fault should be from the other person all right and this also um 
frees us from the burden of trying of of trying to uh, ensure peace at the expense of our conviction or the expense of our lives. That's why the Bible says, if it is possible, and as much as it depends on you. Okay, so in some cases, you are trying to live at peace with people, but then they generate trouble. You know, the Bible calls some people troublemakers. That is people that they think they sleep and they, they devise trouble. They, they look at the environment and say, this place is too quiet. We need to cause drama. And then they create trouble. So there are such people, all right? But the Bible says, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, all right? It says, live peaceably with all men. So our disposition as we walk in love is to be peaceful. Don't is to not create trouble, not generate trouble and, and look for opportunities for quarrel. You know, I used to have a friend then who, I mean, it was very strange to me, but there was almost no time he would be on the phone with his girlfriend that they wouldn't be quarreling. And I used to wonder, like, which what type of relationship is this? And it seemed like it was normal to both of them. I'm like, and I still didn't get it. You are always quarreling. There's always something to quarrel about. And at the end, the next day they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's we love up. So I mean, I like the fact that they were forgiving, but I the fact that there was always trouble was a problem to me. And you know, there are people like that who who don't feel comfortable when everything is going too quiet. When or you know, I'm mean quiet when everything is going too peaceful, and they just imagine that if this is too peaceful, there's uh, there's problem. And I know you might you may think this is surprising, but there are actually people who who they they who who value trouble in their relationship and they look at it as a, as a sign of love. Like if I don't quarrel with my boyfriend, that means oh he doesn't love me. If I don't quarrel with my sister or my brother or my parents, that means uh, there's no love. But no, the Bible says live at peace, live peaceably with all men, all men, all men, believers, unbelievers, man, woman, tall, short, boy, girl. The Bible says live at peace with all men. So as we walk in love towards other people, our disposition should be. A disposition of peace. That's what the Bible says. Um, you don't have to be a troublesome person. People shouldn't shouldn't be finding it difficult to re to remain your friend. You know how there are relationships that are high maintenance. That's if you don't call, if you if you miss the person's birthday, oh my God, you are going to use the next six months to apologize for missing that birthday, and you are going to use the other six months to compensate for missing, and it's just almost. It's just chaotic every time. So the Bible says uh, you should live at peace. You shouldn't be that person. Now, you don't have control of how other people would um, behave. but And that's why the Bible says as far as it depends on you, meaning when the ball is in your court, let people see you as a peaceful person. One of the greatest compliments you can really have as a Christian is that you are peaceful. And I assure you, not every believer is peaceful. I feel like many times people translate the mindset of warfare, spiritual warfare, all right, that they should be, you know, casting and binding demons. They take that same mindset and want to bind human beings or want to relate with human beings, you know, in that way. And um, that should not be our case. The Bible says we should live at peace with all men, live at peace with all men. So the question I want to ask you today is, are you a peaceful person? And before you answer it's not your answer that would matter. It's the answer that people around you have given. All right. Are you a peaceful person? Does peace reign around you? The Bible calls Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace. And I do, I, I certainly believe that God wants us to live out that peaceful life. Yeah, like your life should be a peaceful life. You should be able to live in a neighborhood and they never hear you quarrel or with, with your neighbors or even within whoever lives in your house with you. You know, I stayed somewhere for, before I moved to where I'm living now, I said I stayed somewhere for six years. And in those six years, I never had the opportunity to quarrel with somebody. Now, not because the opportunity didn't come, but you see, when I see trouble coming from one side, the Bible says a righteous man or a wise man will see trouble coming and will run. That's the way it is. You, I see trouble is coming, I will leave. And it will means to the extent that if, if you have to, quote and unquote, let them cheat you so that peace will reign, okay? Then you let it happen. When someone is always arguing, oh, you are, you are, you are I mean, especially around neighbors, so depending on where you live, and there's always an argument about something, if you can afford to lose that thing so that peace will reign, then please, by all means, do so. But let our, our disposition towards people 
be that of peace. So it says, um, as long as it depends on you, if it is possible as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And verse 19 says, beloved, do not avenge yourself. Meaning don't be a person to carry out vengeance. Someone does something evil, something bad to you. You are waiting for the right opportunity to do your own back. It says, do not do that. All right. Um, but rather give place to wrath or give place to vengeance. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So God is saying, even when people offend you, um, allow God to be the one to pay them back. Let God, uh, you know, let God, let God be the one to answer them on your behalf. And what this really means is that in many occasions, you will feel cheated. You will look like a fool because it will look like you can't do anything. Something, Someone does something harmful to you or something wrong to you. And then you, you don't re retaliate. It is not a human thing. It is human to retaliate and do me, I do you, an eye for an eye, that kind of a thing. That's what is expected of humans. But the Bible says that give space for vengeance. That give room for God to avenge. Once you take vengeance in your own hands, then God doesn't have any room to avenge on your case anymore. So the Bible says we should leave room for vengeance. And um, verse 20 says, therefore, if your, your enemy is hungry, feed him. So that neighbor, and I don't know why I keep using neighbor, maybe someone needs this. But that neighbor, for instance, who is always troublesome to you, the Bible says feed the person. Or look for something good to do to the, do for the person. All right? If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Then verse 21, very important, says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Meaning that if someone does something wrong to you and you decide to revenge, you have been overcome with evil. But the Bible says, don't be overcome with evil. Let Rather, you overcome evil with good. So someone does wrong to you, you still maintain a good heart towards the person. Find op When opportunities arise, you still help the person. You know, that is you overcoming evil with good. And I assure you, you have several opportunities to revenge. But when you repay, good with, repay evil with good, then you are qualified for heaven's promotion. All right? Okay, so that's one. So avoid strife. Don't There should not be drama in your relationships. And this is not only referring to romantic relationships or anything like that, but even in your relationship with people around you, there shouldn't be like overly drama, you know, just so much drama. Oh, you didn't, you didn't call me. When last did you call me? And you claim you are my friend, all those kind of talks. There shouldn't be, all right? Live at peace. If you think, if you, if you think someone, you and someone no longer agree, then you don't have to fight and then prove you are right and all of that. No, the Bible says two can't work together unless they agree. So if you are not in agreement with the person, you can easily, you know, part ways without having to, to create World War Three. you know, for that, for that connection or that relationship to end. All right? So live at peace, avoid strife. Somebody tries to offend you, before the offense even comes, forgive the person. Forgive the person for your own sake, not even for the person's sake. You holding a grudge against somebody doesn't stop God from blessing that person. God can still bless the person that you are angry with. He doesn't, God doesn't need to take permission from you. Um, and that's why strife, holding on to strife or holding on to unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person. It first and ultimately hurts you. All right? So let there be no strife in your relationships. Treat people with respect, with honor, um, with, a, with a pure heart. Will, will people betray you? I say an absolute yes. Will people want to take advantage of you? Yes. But from your own parts, right, let your heart be pure and clean towards others. And if you think there's, an, there's you know, friction, if it's so with someone you can address it, please, by all means, bring it up and tell the person, hey, when you did this and this and that, I didn't, I didn't like it. I, was, I wasn't happy. And, and, you know, this is how I felt. Talk about the issue. In fact, what the Bible says, um, what Jesus Christ um, shared with us and instructed is, if you find yourself angry with somebody, go and meet him. If he will not listen to you, take somebody else with you, all right, to with the person. And the idea is that the person should at least acknowledge or respect the fact, if the person doesn't respect you, the person should respect the person that you came with to address the matter. And if the person still doesn't respect both of you, come with members or elders of the church, all right, and come, and if the person does not at this point regard or respect the presence of these people, then the Bible says you cannot treat that person as an outsider. 
All right, but don't don't keep offense in your heart and say you did this thing to me in 2012. You think I've forgotten that time because I didn't have money. You said this, and then just so much offense. Sometimes even the people that were angry, we don't even know we are angry with them. They probably did things in innocence or in ignorance, and they are living their lives. But we are carrying the weight of the offense in our hearts. So let's take away strife, all right, in our relationships and our dealings with people. Number two thing concerning um love working with love and working in love rather towards others is do not be easily angered or do not get angry easily and this is a very very important you know um disposition we must have because like i said earlier people would certainly offend you in fact the bible says offense will surely come that means there's there's a, an assurance jesus christ himself guarantee that as long as you are in this world though, offense you will not escape it. Offense will surely, surely come. Um, so what should be our approach towards that? First, uh, the Bible, um, like I mentioned earlier, avoid strife. Secondly is do not be easily angry. Don't be a person that, that like, I, like I love to call it, you are highly flammable. You know, when, when a material is highly flammable, it means it can easily catch fire. Um, think about your gas, for instance, your cooking gas. If it's leaking, all right, it, it's, it can easily catch fire if there's a spark, if there's a tiny spark and there's, a, there's, you know, leaking gas, that whole place can be engulfed in fire. Or think about petrol, right? If there's petrol, you just like a spark of matches or might not even be matches, might just be a spark that comes from two metals touching each other and the whole place can, can be set ablaze. That's a highly flammable material. There are people like that that are highly flammable. You crack a joke with them and they are just, and they're fled up, they're angry. They can easily pick offense in what people are saying. And you should not be that kind of person. Do not be easily angry. And there are several scriptures in the Bible that talks about this. I'm going to take my time to read about four or five of them, just because I want to really drive this point home. And I'll allow the Bible to do the preaching towards, all right? But please do not be easily angry. Don't be a person that any little thing upsets you. Um, somebody, somebody maybe came to your house, they did not remove their shoe and you are angry. And, in, and when person goes, they are saying, look at this kind of person, what kind of disrespect is that? They came to us, they can't even, they can't even have the regard of taking off their shoe. You will never, I will never invite that person to my house. I know that there are people that pick very little things, very little things that it doesn't make sense to other people, but they pick it as offense. He said, a person came, came to my house and I gave him water he collected it with left hand you know kind of disrespect do you know what that do you know why i am and then that you just form anger all right so do not be easily angered all right let, let, let's read um, a bunch of scriptures to help us proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 proverbs the book of proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 please and please i really beg you don't be a person that gets angry easily because once you lose your temper there's nothing that, nothing profitable comes out of losing your temper. Nothing, nothing at any point profitable comes out of losing your temper. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, let's read. Uh, and I want us to read from the New English Translation. All right, that's um, New English Translation. Proverbs 14, sorry. I opened chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 14. All right, verse 29. Um all right, so it says, um, New English Translation says, the one who is slow to anger has great understanding, but the one who has a quick temper exalts fully. Let me read that again. The one who is slow to anger has great understanding, meaning if somebody can in, be trying to offend you and you refuse to get offended, Let's say you have a colleague in the office that keeps doing things that are annoying to you, but you refuse to get offended and you refuse to get angry. The Bible says you are a person that has great understanding. Ah, meaning you can tell people's understanding from their propensity to be anger, to be angry, sorry. You can tell people's um understanding, the, the breadth and depth of people's wisdom and understanding by the way they can get angry, easy whether it's easy for them to get angry or not. The Bible says that he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but the person who has a quick temper exalts fully. So when you see people easily get angry, something little just gets them offended. 
you you just know that they have little understanding about life. You know, I've worked with, especially if you if you have um technical workers, right? Maybe plumbers or mechanics or carpenters or cleaners, all of that, you know, working for you. Yeah, I assure you, sooner or later, you they would offend you at a point. And their offense, you'll be tempted to sack them or just, you know, cut them off. You would you need you need to apply wisdom to it because in some cases, the real people that have the solution to work, to the problems we have, they may not have the best of the character, and that's the, the, the honest truth, and which is very common among, and this is not being biased, just from observation, common among plumbers or electricians or carpenters or people like that, people that are very skillful, mm, they may have the worst attitude. And if you let yourself get angry every single time, you just burn out because it is almost... If you find somebody who has a who is very skilled, who is a very skilled technical worker and has a good attitude, hold tight to that person because they are rare to find. But people will always want to do will do things that would want one would offend you, whether intentionally or not. But the Bible says, however, that if you are slow to anger, you are a man of understanding. All right, let's read another scripture. Um, still, okay, no, no, this is now in the New Testament, James chapter one, verse nineteen to twenty. This is a popular scripture that we all should know. James chapter 1, verse 19, verse 19 and 20. I want to read this from the Passion Translation. James chapter 1, verse 19 and verse 20 from the Passion Translation. So this is what he says. Ooh. Sorry, again, I opened first Peter. I'm not sure. Okay, I tapped wrongly. So James chapter 1, verse 19. Okay, so it says this, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. So James was speaking and he wanted to emphasize an important point. And he says, take this to heart. What I'm about to tell you, hold it dear to you. It is very important. And what did he say? He goes on by saying, be quick to listen, meaning let your ears be sharp to listen, but be slow to speak. Don't be in a hurry to talk. Don't be in a hurry to give an opinion. Don't be in a hurry to express what is in your mind. Don't be in a hurry to express your emotions. The Bible says be quick to listen, be attentive, and be slow to speak. To speak. And I like the way someone said it, that God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. So you should be more of a listener than a talker. That's what I'm trying to say. All right? So it says be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Then what did he say next? He says, and be slow to become angry. The way I, I, I when I think, read the scripture, what comes to my mind is, imagine a car moving from one end to another. The car can be moving slowly, let's say moving at 20 kilometers per hour. And it will take that car one hour to cover a distance of 20 kilometers going at that speed. Be that kind of person that you are so slow to be angry that, People will have to try really, really hard to get you angry. So that if somebody sees you angry, then you know that the person that made you angry has done the worst. They have has broken a record to get you angry. That's what the Bible is saying. It says be slow to anger. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't address things that are offensive to you or things that, that you do not like. But what the Bible is saying is don't you can address something without first being angry about it or being being um, pushed to anger concerning it. If someone, for instance, comes and maybe say something that I do not like, all right, I can, I mean, I should talk to the person and say, hey, you know, this thing said isn't good. Um, I, I didn't like it. And it ends there. We can sort it out. But the fact that not, not to the point where I, I just flare up and there's fire all over me, you can see steam coming out of my head and I'm trying to tell the person, can you imagine, what did you say to me? Do you think I'm your mate? And then, ooh, a whole world, world war has happened. So the Bible says, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Don't let anger not be a, not be your first immediate response. Let it be difficult for people to push you to a place of anger. All right? And then look at what verse 20 says. Or let, let me start, let me read the last part of verse 19 again. And be slow to become angry Verse 20 says, for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Let me read that again. It says, for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. I love the way this translation puts it. Uh, this is the Passion Translation. 
again he says for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote the promote god's righteous purpose so even if you think in your anger you are trying to correct somebody the bible says that for the fact that you are doing it from a place of anger god does not use anger as a tool to further his purpose on earth and this is why we must not be given to anger we must not be easily ang angered all right or, or get angry easily okay all right so i think that's very explanatory enough um another scripture again i want to read is proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 all of this is just to explain to us and to show us again and again that um you we, we should not be easily angered and and remember we're talking about this from the broad broad approach of our of our relationships with people so people would you know offend us people would say things that are not 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 um that are not pleasing to us and in fact the most how do i say this now most of the painful uh, situations will be from either families, family members, or close friends. So family meaning people, yeah, your family by blood or by extension or relationship relations, or from people that you are close to. So maybe you're in a group, you are part of a group of friends, and then you now hear that someone said something about you and you and you didn't like it. It will really hurt you a lot. But the Bible saying we should not be easily angered, um, angered. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. That's where I wanted to read. And this is what it says. He says, who he who is slow to anger. Remember um, James, James 1 verse 19, where we just read, says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and be slow to, to get angry. Now, the Bible is now telling us in Proverbs 16, verse 32, that the person who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Meaning, if you can control your temper such that you are slow to get angry. You are better than a military soldier who knows how to combat and fight war in the in on the battlefield. That you're you are better than that. And this what this is telling us is the ability to control your anger is a greater strength than physical strength. All right, that internal ability to control your anger and control your emotions is greater is a greater strength than physical strength all right so the real definition of a strong person is not somebody who can who can lift weights but the real definition of a strong person is the person who is slow to get angry in fact i, I remember some years ago the Holy Spirit just dropped this thought in my heart and it says that the person who is really strong is not the man who can raise his hand and beat his wife but the man who even when he's angry, he can decide to stay still and not express that anger. That is really a real strong person. And this is true for, you know, every other relationship. So it says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, that's self-control, um, than he who takes a city. Okay? So ability to control your anger is greater than physical strength in a nutshell. Next scripture I want us to read again is... Um, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. So I, I, I'm reading this so that we, the scripture preaches to us um, on this. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. This is what it says. It says that the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. That means, and it's very similar to the, the scripture I read earlier, that a man, he that is slow to, to anger is of great understanding. Now, the Bible is again is saying that the discretion of a man, meaning the understanding of a man, the wisdom that a man has, is what will make him slow to anger. So every time we rush to get angry, you've not heard the, from the person, you know, someone comes to tell you and say, ah, did you hear what John said about you? Ah, John said, in fact, I don't even know why I keep John as your friend, though. John, you know, John, this John you are seeing, he said this, that I can't even utter use the same words he say, and you are already angry. You've not even heard from the John himself. But you have or you already moved to anger. That is not a show of wisdom. The Bible says that the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. So the person who is full of wisdom is always slow to anger. Um, verse. Uh, sorry, the Passion Translation says an understanding person demonstrates patience. For mercy means holding your tongue. All right. So um, I, I believe that is very very clear enough. Uh, then the last part says, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. That means the full verse says, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, 
and his glory is to overlook a, dis a transgression. So when you overlook an offense, somebody said something to you that is hurtful, and maybe the person who said it intentionally, but you decided, don't worry, it's not a big deal. You move on. After all, you know, people keep saying things about you and you just decide not to focus on it and just, you know, gloss over it and just move on. The Bible says that that is your glory. That is, it's an honorable thing for you to do, for, for you to overlook an offense. And this is really, really the wisdom of God for us to deal with people. Okay. Okay. Last scripture before I move on to the third thing. I don't know how we'll do with time, but let's continue and we will not be in a hurry. So the last scripture I wanted to read for, for the, before we move to the third point is Titus chapter 1 verse 19. Titus chapter 1 verse 19. Um, hold on, I think I am. Um, oh, this is not Titus. This should be Timothy. Sorry, just give me a minute, please. Uh, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Let me. This should be. Um, this should not be Titus. It should be, I think, Second Timothy. Hmm. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Just a minute. I really need to pull up this scripture because it is, um, it's important to us. All right. So just give me one second, um, or a minute actually. Um. All right. So I just want a scripture that talks about. Uh, oh, sorry, 2 Timothy 2.24. I'm not sure I missed that. Um, 2 Timothy 2.24. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so in this scripture, just for context, right, Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy and then um, was giving him the criteria for people who would be leaders in church, people who would be men of God, people who would be um, to take leadership position, right? And look at what he said in verse 24. It says, and a servant and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to be able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Um, I want to read this from another translation. Um from another trans translation, just to capture what I am talking about. Um, there was a translation I came across that said, well, let me read it from the Amplified Bible, Amplified Classic. Verse 24 says, and the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. That's fighting and contending. And that's just my emphasis. But the translation I read earlier says, um, a man of God should not be easily angry or should not be, should not be given to anger. And that is God's expectations from, from you and I that we should not be given to anger. And it's so interesting that it's a requirement for leadership in church because people will offend you. And if you are in a church, I assure you, if it has not happened, it will happen very soon. Somebody somewhere would offend you, but the Bible says we should not be easily given to anger. All right? So I believe with these scriptures, I have been able to drive the points that, please make up your mind that it will be difficult for somebody to make me angry. Make, it, make up your mind. That yes, you can correct things that you do not like, but that somebody gets you angry to the point where you have you you don't you have lost control of your emotions and you are all out just saying anything that comes to your mind. We should never get to that point. Hallelujah! Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. Other translation says, but of power and of of self control. So we have the spirit of self control in us. Praise God. Okay, the third thing. Um, again, under our disposition to other people is controlling our tongue, all right? And specifically talking about gossip, avoiding gossip. Um, gossip is simply taking, taking what you heard, maybe especially in confidence or something private about somebody, and then you're going to spread it to somebody else uh, by way of, blackmailing the person or by way of presenting this person in a bad light to the other person. All right. That is gossip. Um, let's read Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20 
and 21. Yeah. I really hope we are writing these scriptures down um, just, uh, just to help us. I really um, encourage us to write the scriptures down because we, we definitely have to go back to it and um, meditate on it and, and, and soak it in deeply. Proverbs 26, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, very interesting scripture. It says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. All right. So if there's no wood, I mean, if you've ever used firewood before, you've seen your parents use it, or even if you've never, if you've just burnt sticks before, the Bible says, it's saying that when there are no more wood, right, there's no more wood or there's no more stick, right, of to fill that fire, the fire will automatically die. So what keeps the fire burning is the wood that is being fed into the fire. So the more you feed fire, the more it continues to burn. But the moment you stop taking, you stop feeding it with, with wood or whatever, or with whatever um, material, it suddenly stops burning or it not suddenly, after some time it stops burning. Now look at what the Bible says next. It says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no tail bearer, the word tail bearer there means gossip or gossiper. Where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. What, what this really tells us is if you see two people that are always striving and fighting against each other, it is largely because there's a tail bearer, there's a gossiper, there's a, is the right word gossip or gossiper now? There's a person that gossips and what that person does is takes information from Mr. A and then tells Mr. B and say, ah, do, you, do you know what, what, this, what she said about you? Ah, she said your shoe, your shoe. That your shoe, even, even secondhand, would have stopped selling your kind of shoe. And the person, person B now becomes angry. And another gossip goes to person A and says, ah, do you know what, what person B says? The person B says that you, you did not even graduate from university. And that person becomes angry. And then the two of them are now fighting at each other. They, the reason why they fight or the beef, like we like to say it, is burning hot, burning hot, sorry, is because there is a tail bearer, there's a gossiper, somebody that is feeding information to present another person in a bad light. And please and please, that should not be our experience. If you hear something about someone that you think would put that person in danger, go and if you need to tell the person, do it with the wisdom of God, not from a point of trying to present another person in a bad light. Now, I do know, for instance, if I enter a room and there's a discussion with uh, about my friend, or let's say I have a friend named, um, named Jack, all right? And I enter a room and I hear someone talking about Jack. If I weigh the information and I see that they are just talking bad about him, but they are not necessarily um, planning evil against him. I, I would not necessarily tell Jack, all right, I'll move on. But if I see that the information or what, what is being discussed is an active plot against him, then I would go and tell him and say, you know, using with the wisdom of God, I heard this and I heard this. I think you should be careful about such people. They may not have you have um your interest at heart this is what i they are planning because it's it's going to put my friend in danger but i end it there i don't keep coming back to say ah fuel the fire this person said he's a bad person all all the gossip you know the bible says it fuels strife and usually gossip happens among friends it is difficult for gossip to happen among strangers it is very difficult gossip typically happens among friends so there are people who who are you know, in a circle of friends, one person goes tell another person what somebody said, and that's how gossip spreads. So please, we should not be that. We should not be that kind of person or that, that kind of people, those kind of people, I mean. Um, we should not spread gossip. Instead of going around to talk about what people are saying and all of that, spread the gospel instead, not gossip. Spread the gospel, not gossip. Thankfully, they both start with G-O, but they are different. One is one hot, the, the, the person and the other blesses the person, all right? So please spread the gospel, don't spread gossip. Someone is doing something that's wrong. Leave, don't, you don't need to tell the world. Yeah, you can see, I can be in a room and I hear somebody say something and I will never tell the next, the person that they are talking about. As long as I know that it's not a, it's not an active plot against the person or against the person's life or anything like that. I will just move on. It's not my, my business, all right? So please, no tail bearing and no gossip all right no tail bearing and no gossip um now i want us to move on but i am 
um, I am in between. All right. So we're going to pause here. No, we're going to stop here for today. And next week, we are going to look at the other side, which is our disposition towards our disposition, right? People's disposition towards us. I said beginning uh, at the beginning that um, when we're relating with people, I, well, our approach for it for this study is to look at it from two two folds or two direction directions. One is what go, what should govern our relationship with other people, right? So outward. And we said what, what should govern our relationship should be love, meaning working in love towards people, um, treating people in love, respecting people and all of that. And then under love, we looked at three things, avoiding strife and offense, um, being not, not being easily angered, and finally um, controlling your tongue, specifically avoiding gossip, okay? Um, but the second thing, second second direction of relationship is towards us. And what governs people's relationship towards us is favor, is favor. And favor is a, is a currency on earth, all right? But we can't go into that again today because of time. And I do not want to rush, rush these things. So we're going to stop here. And let me ask you a question. How do you, how do you treat, uh, how do you handle, how do you handle situations um, in, in a way that it does not easily offend you? Okay, that's one. So basically, how do you, what are your, what are some of the ways you, you ensure you're not easily angered? All right, that's number one. And then number two is, well, closely related again, how do you deal with strife and offense? I would love to hear from us. Uh, to share our experiences, all right? And share, you know, some of the tips and wisdom that God has given us before. So how do you deal with, um, how do you, how do you prevent yourself from being easily angry? And then secondly, how do you deal with offense or strife? I would love to hear from us um, before we close, please. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm open to anyone's, anyone who's ready to speak. For those of us on Mixeller, please, you can type in your responses. How do you deal with offense? And also, how do you uh, ensure you are not, you don't easily get angry when people step on your toes, when people do things that are naturally annoying? How do you ensure that you're not easily angered? Anyone uh, can go ahead and share. If you're Mixeller, please uh, um, type in your, type in your, your contributions. I'm looking forward to re reading them. Okay, so um, Emily on Zoom says, I extend mercy, and over the years, God has helped me to be more tolerant. Amazing. Um, you extend mercy. So Emily says, I extend mercy, and over the years, God has helped me to be more tolerant. To be more tolerant. I, I love that. And I just want to say something while others are, you know, putting their thoughts together, that the more you, you know, as you grow up and you work with God. One thing I've noticed is you become a lot more tolerant. So you see people that will offend you. In fact, you, you would see them coming miles away, but you still tolerate them. You tolerate their, their excesses. All right. And it's, it's really a sign that God is working on your heart. Um, so yeah, tolerance is one of it. Thank you, Emily. Okay. You also add, and you're saying that it's not always easy though, but it's worth your peace. I love that. It is not always easy, which is the truth, but it is worth your peace. So extending mercy and tolerating people is worth your peace. And peace is, so, you know, internal peace, peace around your environment is something you must value at all costs. Please, you must value peace at all costs. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Emily. Um, anyone else? I haven't seen a comment on Mixlr yet. How do you tolerate or how do you, what, what are some of the tips that help you um, to not easily get angry? And also, how do you deal with strife in your life? How do you deal with strife in your life? Okay, so um, on Zoom, on Mixer, so, sorry, um, Son here is saying, first, I will approach the person if such is approachable, all right? And... Yeah, that's very important. Like I, I mentioned earlier, if you there's offense or a room for offense, 
first of all, deal with it, okay? And and dealing with it, you confront the person or better say, engage the person and have a conversation with it, which is exactly what um, this comment is saying. Approach the person if the person is approachable. And I like the, the, the phrase, if the person is approachable, because in all honesty, there are certain people who have made it very difficult um, to be approached. So some people might not be approachable. However, it doesn't mean you can't forgive them. Forgiveness doesn't require the permission of the other person. Um, what would re what requires the other person's permission is, of course, or, or consent and involvement is the an active relationship where both of you are working together or like in relationship with each other or some friends of some sort. So that requires both parties. But to forgive, you don't need permission from the other person. So if the person isn't approachable, by all means, you can um, let the person go, but definitely forgive the person. All right. Thank you for that. God bless you. Any other comments? Um, we can take maybe two more before we close. How do you deal with offense? And also, what are some of the things you do that keeps you from being easily angry? What are some of those things you do that keeps you from um, being easily angry? Um, anyone, anyone coming up? You can type your comments on Mixlr. Okay, um, so secondly, uh, same person on Mixlr is saying, <laughs> I will report the person to someone he or she listens to for the sake of peace. Yes, I really love that. And you know, this is the, exactly what Jesus Christ was teaching, right? When he says, if you, you, you and your brother, you know, are loggerheads or there's strife or there's quarrel, go and approach the person. Secondly is, if the person doesn't listen to you, take take someone along with you and that's what the second comment is saying. I will, it says, person says, I will report the person to someone he or she listens to for the sake of peace. And this, this um, action obviously shows that you value the relationship. Because if you don't value the relationship, you probably just want to end the relationship with that person and move on with your life. But if you do value the relationship, you want, relationship rather, you'll want to amend it and through every possible means, which many times involve involves bringing in somebody who the person listens to or respects. And then thirdly, uh, the person says, I'll pray for uh, for such a person. Yes, amazing. Thank you very much for this. Okay, one last comment before we close. How do you handle strife in your life? Or are you guys telling me nobody has offended you? Like you have very fantastic friends and family and um, neighbors and co-workers co and everybody around you is just fantastic. Nobody has offended you. Um, that would be very, very uh, difficult for me to believe. But yeah, let me know what, how do you deal with offense? How do you deal with strife? And then what do you do to not easily get angry? I mean, I'll tell you one thing I do is I, I don't, I try not to make an opinion until I've heard from the person myself. So if someone comes to tell me, or relay a story or relay an experience that, oh, this person did X, Y, Z, and I'm supposed to be angry based on what the person did, I would want to meet the person myself to hear from the person directly. Because sometimes it might just be that they, it might just be the way the person said it, um, but not necessarily that the person meant it for evil in, in some cases, all right? In other cases, the person is actually intentionally being malicious. But what I found out that is that Usually, if you can sit down and speak with the person, you can either solve, you know, dispel or dissolve that friction. Or if the person still insists that they are offended at you, you can at least come to an agreeable point that you disagree. And it is a lot easier um, that way than for you to, to act based on what someone else told you. Because once the information is passing through somebody else, there's a very high chance that it's not going to come in the exact accurate form. Either the context will be missing or the mannerism will be missing or the information itself will be twisted, all right? Um, or the, the intention itself might even be misinterpreted, misinterpreted. So I love to hear from the person myself. Okay, so thank you all for joining in today. This is where we'll stop. And remember next week, we'll just continue from this and want to look at 
what governs people's disposition towards us. First, we said what governs our disposition towards people should be love. And secondly, what governs people's disposition towards us is favor. And we want to look at that next week by the grace of God. All right. So uh, thank you very much, everyone. Okay. I have one more comment on Mixella before I pray. Um, someone says on Mixella that to not easily get angry, I mainly try to ignore the antics of the of the individual. As long as I don't pay, pay much attention to what they are saying or doing, I won't get reeled up at all. Thank you very much for sharing this. You know, many times you need to you need to ignore, you need to intentionally ignore people's behavior so that you don't get angry. And what for that to happen is you need to see yourself as a mature, as the mature person in that situation. All right. And that's really what forgiveness does. Forgiveness prove, proves to you and to God that you are the mature person. And I, I'm not saying in any way that this is easy, but it is helpful. And like Emily says, it is it is um, worth your peace. All right. It is worth your peace. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. Let's say a word of prayer before we close. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today. We thank you for you know teaching us about human relationships. Lord, we we first of all want to repent for times where we have entertained strife and offense, for times where we have not been forgiving, for times where we got easily anger angry or even angry unnecessarily times where we consciously or unconsciously have uh propagated gossip lord we ask you for forgiveness we ask you for um for mercy in the name of jesus christ we ask oh lord for grace to treat other people with love that our disposition towards others would be from a from a standpoint of love uh just the same way you loved us even when we're sinners you loved us when our character was, was nothing to write home about. You loved us when we didn't even know you, when we denied you. Lord, help us to extend that same love even to people that disagree with us in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you all.